Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandevan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. Hey, Tim, how's it going, buddy? Hey, you know, everything is coming up Millhouse, I think. Uh, I'm not wearing floods, but okay. Yeah, it's all good. How are you? Excellent. I'm really good, man. Uh, yeah, things have... Uh, Things are, things are coming up Millhouse here pretty good as well. Sweet. Uh, I cannot complain. I I do. I hear the weather is pretty fucking fantastic out east there. And uh, let's just say our summer has been pretty gray. But oh, hey. that has not dampened my spirit, even though it's damp. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, you're, li- you're living on the wet coast. That's not my fault. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's Adam's fault that he lives in a temperate rainforest. Yeah, way to go, buddy. Way to go. Way to go, fuckface. Science. Nice job, buddy. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, no, I honestly, I'm not complaining. Uh, it's it, yeah, things have been good, my friend. Sweet. Um, you know, today is uh, gonna be a day where it's not just gonna be us two losers talking. Well, we've got a third loser to join the loser patrol. Yes. We finally got a third loser to, to you know, we dragged him kicking and screaming onto our show. Um, or kicking and losing, if as you prefer. You know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we've, we've invited, actually, our really good friend, uh, Gord, from NTTX. Gord Clement. Onto our show. Gord Clement. The, you, the yes. one and only Gord Clement. Yeah. A, uh, a very prolific uh, uh electronic uh industrial uh say what you want and in fact we discuss this in the interview we discuss what constitutes a genre industrial you know <laughs> how do you come up with that and yeah how do you come up with that in the studio we're really excited about that when we talked our fucking ears off it was great um, so that's coming up later in the episode. So stick around, people. Just stick around. If you don't stick around, um, I'm going to have to come and find you. So that's nice. I recommend you stick around. So today, along with our interview, we're going to sort of cover one particular topic. And I know, Tim, that this was one that uh, that you brought up um, sort of based on our own experiences um, working with other producers, with other artists in different studios. And it, it's it's. Uh, what can you say about it other than we call it the practice that some people do of listening with your eyes, which is wrong. So which very, is, very wrong to clarify, Tim, how yes. wrong is it? Well, let's start like this. So a lot of listening with your eyes uh, in my experience is you're excited about something that you're seeing as opposed to what you're listening to. So When you got your first record, CD, whatever, illegally downloaded MP3, blah, 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 and you're listening to the song and you have no visual cues and it's exciting you and it's making you happy and things like that. Giving you a boner. Yeah, well, you know, the musical boner. So (laughs) 
that's what music is supposed to do for you. I've been in situations where I'll do a recording, I'll let people listen to it, and the first question that comes out is, oh, wow, so what are your digital converters and your preamps and your microphones? Mm. What are they? And to me, I say, doesn't matter. Does what I've done move you in any way, shape, or form? Are you listening to the right. song going, wow, that's that's awful? I, you know, I want to strangle a goose and beat you to death with it because that's such a terrible, <laughs> terrible song. Yeah, exactly. It's not the goose's fault. It was my fault. Or are you saying this was really great? I love how it sounds. I've heard too many people and seen too many people say things like, well, you know, uh, I need to know what your 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 mic chain is. As if, as, as if you would go back to James Brown and say, you know, the recording of uh, It's a Man's World. What was your what was your yeah. vo- what was your vocal chain, James Brown? Is it good because it was recorded in Motown, or is it bad because it was recorded in Motown? Like, give, you'd probably like, just get a very loud grunt back, or maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe a punch in the face too. But a lot, of people, a lot of people listen with their eyes. I've had um, engineers in the studio talk about, oh man, your drum parts are right on, you know, they're right on the grid. I'm like, well, I'm playing to a fucking click. Of course they're on the grid. Can, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Can you close your fucking eyes and listen to see if this is something that works for you? And I've done this with other, yeah. <clears throat> I've done this with edits as well, where I've had an artist at my side, in my studio and we're recording and then there's something doesn't go quite right. So we're going to do a quick punch in, which, you know, punch ins have existed since they figured out multi-tracking. Yeah. So we're talking 50, 60 years, easy, maybe more. And, you know, someone on the internet will come and correct me about that. So we're doing a, you know, we're doing a session and then they're like, you know, so we, I punch you back in. I do a little bit of editing, a little quick, you know, a little digital polish and then play it back. Oh, 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 I hear, I hear the edit. And it's like, do you? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you're staring at my DAW screen right now. Of course you see, of course you think you hear it. You're looking when the edit comes, you know, yeah. you see that line, you see that different track over that track. Yes. So I've done that with people where I'm like, okay, fine. So I turn the, the my second monitor off. We play it back and I like, tell them you pointed out where you hear the, the problem. And they're like, Hmm, weird. I didn't hear it that time. Okay. Well, let's play it again. Yeah. Hmm, strange. I didn't hear it that time. Okay. Let's play it one more time. Okay. I didn't hear it that time. All right. I'm going to bounce you out an MP3. You take it home. You listen to it. I want you to be sure when you come back tomorrow, if you hear or any sort of, you know, la, 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 la kind of thing going on, please <laughs> bring it to know. my attention, you know, yes. uh, because the edit that I've done is super dope and sounds great because you, you don't, hear you know, it. it's, you know, in a lot of ways, there's obviously there's a lot of benefit to doing DAW recording now as, as opposed to tape. I mean, number mm. one you don't have to really physically destroy anything to make something work. And that's, you know, and that's the power of the DAW. I'm actually going to talk as a metaphor. I'm going to say something different. I remember there was uh, an interview that I heard, I think it was on CBC and they were talking to a guy who had taken a very famous photograph. And it was, it was actually that photograph of back in the nineties, the Bill Clinton scandal with him and Monica Lewinsky. There's this photograph of him in surrounded by the public somewhere. And I think he'd just given a speech and he's giving a hug to Monica Lewinsky. It's actually a fairly famous photograph. And this Mm -hmm. is before this picture was taken before the scandal broke. And 
this picture was sort of taken at the advent of when a lot of photographers were moving to digital. But this one photographer had decided not to go digital. He was still taking pictures on physical film. And the thing is, he is the only one who actually captured that moment. Because what wound up happening is everyone who had taken that picture on that day just deleted the photos. There are thousands of pictures of Bill Clinton, and nobody knew who the hell Monica Lewinsky was. And they were going through their pictures on their little drive or whatever and going, eh, don't need it, don't need it, don't need it. You know, there's other pictures like that of Bill Clinton. Well, this guy did it on film. And he kept that one. And incidentally, that picture became famous. You know, in that case, he was listening with his eyes, which you do in photography, but you don't do in in audio recording. And I guess my analogy is, is drawing a comparison between DAW recording and back in the day when you recorded using tape. With tape, there's nothing to look at other than these two spinning wheels. Exactly. <laughs> Like, so everything you did, you had to do right and you had to commit to. Um, there was no sort of like, oh, you're peaking or blah, blah, blah. Uh, your example of James Brown is a good one. So if you listen to any James Brown recording and if you really listen to his vocals, he's distorting. You can hear him distorting on the recordings because he's practically yelling into the microphone, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Tape was very forgiving with that. You get what the, that sort of natural tape compression, so you could actually get away with the distortion, and it was very quite comfortable. A lot of um, a lot of engineers in the seventies used that, especially they would drive the snare drum on tape, and you would get more exactly. of like a slightly distorted clock, you know, sort of sound. And even again, famously in the seventies, for the most part, there was a lot of muffling going on in small rooms and that sort of stuff. So right. getting a bit of grit in your snare channel is not the end of the world, especially to tape. But going back to listening with your eyes again, mm -hmm. you, it, it would be like, you know, listening to, you know, okay, so you're watching Led Zeppelin's song remains the same. And you're like, oh, the, that, that, that video doesn't line up there. So this is all wrong. Well, probably because who knows? They were editing a video for a, for a for a live performance but the music itself if you just listen to the music itself it's quite enjoyable and i think right. the, the problem that i keep running into is people that are like they're one they're hung up on gear okay so they'll they'll come to your studio and they'll be like oh you don't have any neumanns and it's like well have you got five grand so i can buy the the low-end neumann please you know, oh, uh, I, I, I see a Behringer unit in your kit. Yeah, yeah, it's a patch bay. It doesn't color the sound. What's wrong with you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, right. There's There's been so many, so many times where I've run into someone's listening with their eyes. And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, okay, perfect example. Go listen to Meet the Sonics by the Sonics. Mm. It is loud, distorted, a mess but it's fucking beautiful, <laughs> fucking beautiful. And you know what? If you would want to listen with your eyes and go, oh man, they must have had every meter pinned and they're not using the right kind of tape. And what is that microphone? And oh my God, the drummer's using the, those drums and go away. I don't have time for oh, yeah. that, you know? And in fact, I know that there, there are several recordings out there that are sort of considered pretty cool recordings that were essentially done on what would be considered less than adequate mm -hmm, exactly. equipment. 
you know, by said audio jerks. But I, I think more to sort of your point, Tim, is that the, the idea is, is that um, if you're listening with your ears, you know, if, if you take the time to make that record sound how you want, a lot of the times the equipment is inconsequential. Exactly. You know, you can make, you can make very fabulous recordings as we've already discussed with cheap radio shack mics. It is a thing. You mm-hmm. can do it. Don't let your DAW get in the way of you using your fucking ears. Use your fucking ears. It's a tool, buddy. man. I mean, that's um, what they're for. God damn it. That's what it's for. Yeah. That's what they're yeah. definitely for. The idea of, I'm looking at something and this can't possibly be a good recording because he's recording me in Cubase and not Pro Tools or he's recording me in Pro Tools (laughs) and not Logic. Okay, if you go to a studio and the engineer has top-notch gear and your songs still sound like crap, maybe if it's not the song, if it's the recordings, it's techniques in the recording. Um, Exactly. No, and that's that's a good argument too, Tim, is that ultimately you can make really horrible recordings with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. It's actually really easy to do. Well, I <laughs> work really I'm, easy to make a shit recording with a lot of expensive equipment. I've seen sessions where people go into the recording studio, they spend their money, they spend their time in the studio of meticulous, meticulous, meticulous. And then some genius takes the whole recording home and runs it through a, I don't know, like some, a small, I'm not even going to say a name brand here, but like some small little two channel output thing and says, Oh yeah, it sounds great. And you're like, what happened to our recording? You know, <laughs> what happened? And it was just like, yeah. it's again, it's listening in that case, it's listening with your eyes. We did it in the studio. So it must be great. Right. And all I'm going to do is yeah. mix. Well, no, that's not how engineering works. You know, make something beautiful and listen to it. I think now is maybe a good time to sort of introduce our very, very first interview. As we mentioned, we were we already sort of did a pre-recording with our friend Gord Clement from at NTTX. And we were super excited to have him on the show. He's actually, he's known Tim for years. He's a good buddy of his. Uh, and we talk a lot about sort of his experience, particularly with production in electronic music, which is an area that I and Tim both have near and dear to our hearts. So... Without further ado, here's our interview with Gord Clement from NTTX. Enjoy. Welcome to our humble podcast. Is it is it ever so humble? There's yeah. no pod like home. Something like that. I think it might be ever so crumble. You know, it's hard to say. <sighs> uh, that, now I feel bad that that we missed out on that title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording uh, this in an eight bit twenty two kilohertz, right? Just like you said. Oh, exactly. Yes. I want all, all the sound of a, of a 1980s Tyco arcade game. Exactly. <laughs> we got some talking points here. So let's start. We, we're calling this section, Gord, by the way, gratuitous interview. So gratuitous. Oh. Interview. Thank you for being gratuitous in our interview. Gratuitous interview. Wait, is that, is that, is that French for free? Um, no, that would be, uh, gratuit. So, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, you know me, Mr. The only reason I passed French in high school was that, uh, Mr. Pere, the teacher was good friends with, uh, my dad. So, well, there you go. So a little fear and loathing in Curtis Vegas. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, both of you guys met in high school. Yeah, right? we met in high school. Oh, so. yeah. 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 T- Tim was Tim was the uh the outstanding drummer of Durham region at least if not uh, Ontario. And <laughs> oh, I I looked kind. up to him with uh, doughy-eyed fascination. <laughs> and he had the best hair. <laughs> uh, n- no, no he did not. Not in the 80s I did not. And I looked up to Gord because he was the first guy I ever knew that had a DX7. <laughs> did you have a DX7? Uh, actually, I had a DX twenty one. Oh, cool! Even uh, rarer and more, more, more mysterious. Excellent. And I had a couple of uh, Yamaha drum machines. I went through. Oh yeah, but don't we all <laughs> do tell do spill? <laughs> uh, yeah, our uh, RX either RX twenty one or RX seventeen, and then I went to the big one, like the whatever the RX uh, was it five or whatever with all the individual outs and everything. Right, right. The big, the big, big one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But so, I, I quickly stopped using DX synths. <laughs> only, <laughs> only so many ganky uh, slap bass and uh, tubular bells and Rhodes sounds I can use before it's not. Uh... Well, you didn't want to make an industrial version of the Doogie Howser theme? What? Uh, <laughs> hey, what? I, I resemble that remark too much. <laughs> so is is that so back back in the eighties, Gord? Is that where your sort of your love of, of industrial and electronic music started? Is that where the genesis of all this is? Uh, no, I, I love Genesis too. I know uh, you did. I know. Oh, you, I know you love oh, Phil Collins. Yeah, you're a fan yes. of Phil Collins as yeah. well. I know that. The, the no the. Um, I mean, I liked electronic music back. My my brother was a, a roller. Remember roller skating arenas? My brother oh, yes. was one of the one of the more sought after DJs. He worked at actually all the Durham region uh, skate arena. What are roller skate arenas? I couldn't mm-hmm. even remember the name. Are we allowed to swear? <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely, it's the internet. Fuck okay. yes, booger. Um, <laughs> Uh, nice. And he got me into uh, uh, like Gary Newman and Kraftwerk and all this stuff, the early electronics. But I kind of mm-hmm. I liked punk uh, and kind of that kind of stuff a little bit. And then somebody turned me on to a band called DAF, Deutsche American Franchise. Oh yeah, DAF. And, yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, Leather Strip. And basically, I, the, the the fact that it kind of took the dark electronics that I liked. From uh, Kraftwerk and Gary Newman, and then gave it a kind of this punk-ish ethos, this feel, this aggression behind it. And then from mm-hmm. then on, it was I was just discovering more and more bands like that, and basically, uh, I never looked back. That's awesome. I was going to actually ask you about that sort of. I, it sounds like we share a lot of sort of the same kind of influences, uh, like you mentioned DAF, uh, and I know like Knights of Reb was really influenced by DAF. We saw your oh, yeah. live show actually when you opened for Acid Test a couple of years back, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, way back, you know, back in the two thousand eighteens. And um, but uh, um, you guys had that sort of like that cool stage setup where where yeah, like you had like a stand up drummer and stuff. But what what are sort of your major influences and in sort of like once you started moving into and indu- listening to more industrial stuff, what what sort of like really tickled your fancy? Well, uh, of course, Nice Rab and Front 242 um, continued with uh, Leather Strip as well. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 but I, I like, I wanted to do something a little different. It's a lot of these bands were yelling and uh, didn't have 
kind of melodic right. melodic vocals, which is 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 fine. But I, I wanted something that had kind of a mixed like. As Tim said, I, I was I was right into I was into prog rock and Genesis, and uh, I like the kind of mysteriousness that Gabriel had. I won't talk about Phil Collins. I like Phil Collins as a drummer, but not in as a member of Genesis. Oh, he's a fantastic uh, drummer, fantastic <laughs> drummer. Yeah. And 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 um, you know, I like the Police and all kinds of different things like that. Which you know, when Stewart and his brother kind of formed the police, he wanted a punk band, but you know, Sting being the pretty boy that he was, kind of turned it more into something a little different than but i mean hey they were the world's most <laughs> successful band so you never know which way things are going to uh, bend right and uh, i also you know got into gothy stuff so like i warned when i got signed to wax tracks 2 or wtii i call it witty uh, <laughs> i warned them i said you know I'm going to have a song that sounds like Nights to Reb. I'm going to have a song that sounds like 80s uh, synth pop. I'm going to have sounds that sound like um, more dreamy kind of things. I said, I don't like buying an album. And everybody knows there's bands out there where you, you their albums and it's, you know, they're good, but you almost can't tell the difference. And, uh, one of a band that I used to really love called KMFDM, they even pointed yeah. that out. They, they, same old shit, we're doing it again. You know, <laughs> that's you actually know, they, a good example of a, a of a band that yeah that does specifically that. I think at one point they even they insisted that they were were not industrial. We're not don't don't try and lock us into like a corner kind of thing. I I think I read that in an interview with them somewhere where they're like, we listen to all kinds of things, we play all kinds of shit. You know, we don't like Michael Jackson. We hate Depeche Mode. Like, <laughs> we don't care for Madonna or Kylie Minogue. Like, you know, they're the Dr. Seuss of industrial music. They're everywhere. Well, yeah, so. it is. It, it, it's, it's, hard when, it's hard when people narrow you down to a certain genre because a lot of times those ideas, genres, don't work. And then, I mean, you look at a lot of forums for bands and they go, oh, they're not or not groups, like say an EBM industrial group or a goth group, and people say, oh, that's not goth, or that's not industrial, that's not a EBM. But the thing yeah. is, just like anything else, I mean, good music incorporates from a lot of different things. You know, like, I I like kind of like the twiddly synth solos that, say, Tony, Tony Banks was kind of famous for, but I also like oh, the yeah. heavy bass lines uh, of EBM, but I also love, now, this is going to be totally off the wall, but I also love, like, traveling bass lines of a lot of, like, 50s, 60s countries that kind of, uh, country music that kind of goes and travels along a melodic path instead of just being sitting and pounding on the root all the time, like... Uh, Oh, like a, you mean like a walk a walking bass line, the old yeah. doom, doom 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 kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I I I, I, lo I love that, you know, with a was it uh, sitting in a surrey with a fringe on top, you know, that old uh, doom 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 doom, and I I love that where the bass is kind of melodic, and EBM almost kind of has that where it's a bass driven, you know, the bass is what drives the the song, the bass line, right. And to mix them all together, like even like you said, Acid Test, I was into them too because they kind of mixed a little bit of the the grunge, a little bit of the electronicy, like the early ravey kind of stuff together. Yeah, and you know it, it gave something more interesting than you know eighties was a lot of the 
DX7 bass lines and and uh, hand claps and stuff. Lots and of then, drums. Right. Yeah, Lots Lindra. of drums. Hey, I love Lynn Kick and Snare is in almost every one of my songs, but Lynn and Kick and Snare, I think, are the two mm. best friggin' kicks and snares. Uh, beefy, big, oomphy sounds. You know, when 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 something sticks too similar to it, like uh, Neubauten, like that is what I would consider really industrial, but it's not right. very. But until they're, you know, lately their albums have been, you know, very hard and abrasive to listen to. Sure, if you like noise styling and noise art. A lot like uh, uh, throbbing gristle. Like uh, actually, yeah. a lot of people say that if you really, if you really mean industrial music, you you probably mean throbbing gristle and you know uh, uh, Genesis P Origin. Like when punk was sort of ascendant in the seventies, and people in the punk scene were like, there has to be something more than just trying to rip off really bad guitars. Like <laughs> let's really be experimental. And yeah, you know, like oh, I'm gonna do a really poor version of Roadrunner. And just yell into the microphone. They were sort of like, "Well, no, can we can we carry that far farther? Can we, you know, uh, can we make our own instruments? Can we can we buy synthesizers and make it sound like a guitar? And buy a guitar and make it sound like a synthesizer? Sort of like, um, oh yeah, uh, Cabaret Voltaire. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like those they so, were they were very cinem- like Cabaret Voltaire to me were very almost like cinematic orchestral in there. Like they had a very big soundstage and had uh drama yes like, like almost like a, a hard-edged angry vangelis hmm. interesting <laughs> right well yeah those guys well and, and i know in that era too like a lot of those bands i think particularly that came out of england like yeah like cabaret voltaire or even uh, uh tim and i were talking about this in an earlier episode human league early human league all oh, those yeah. guys they were going to art school you know, they were, they were, they, they weren't even, a lot of them weren't even musicians. They were just kind of like, well, how do we blend, you know, video with, you know, film projection with sound with, you know, and, and in the case, I think of even throbbing gristle live pornography, like how do we blend all these yeah. things together to make an experience uh, that, that sort of kind of blows people's minds, even if it disgusts them, like, how do we do that? So I thought that was so cool. And it's, it's not something I don't think you see very often these days. So, um. no. Well, I mean, you get you get Marilyn Manson and 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 acts like that that are more of a. I I don't want to say commercialized, but really they are. I mean, Marilyn Manson had a massive following. I remember seeing him before he was really famous, and I think they were yeah. still called Spooky Kids, and people were like going, "What the hell is this?" It it looked, uh, cabaret kind of funny and. It, it wasn't as spooky as maybe they thought it was, but they were opening. Right. It, it was uh, Jim Rose Circus and Marilyn Manson were were playing, and it was just uh, it was more of a a night of what the hell is going on for the people who didn't know what was going on. Uh, that might have been <laughs> might so that might have been there for Jim Rose or might have been there for Man, Marilyn Manson, but uh, anyway, there was no lighting. It, the lights were just on. It was just an odd thing to see him, and then now and then think of the drama he's putting on now and big like cool shows but back then it was just like so unpolished and so rough uh there was some kind of a pleasure in that i think too having something going on that even maybe the people on stage weren't really totally in control of 
a little more spontaneous and and yeah dangerous yeah <laughs> in a way yeah and then totally. i come on with fully programmed uh lighting and stuff and nothing can uh when something goes wrong i run into a tizzy and start crying <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i was i was gonna say going back to like our the the show that we played together in in toronto like i i actually was was super stoked on on your show simply because you guys are really intent on putting on mm. a show like uh I, I think this is something that a lot of bands sometimes miss when i when i've gone to see a concert is they're just i don't know kind of staring at their fucking shoelaces and Ugh. you know just sort of like you're gonna hear this next song and it's gonna be you know it's about my dead dog and you know you guys just kind of like just came out and threw out a show and yeah you 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 had your own pre-programmed lights and like you guys really spent a lot of time thinking about that and and it, it almost seemed like you guys could go and play anywhere provided there's a power plug yeah. as long as you can <laughs> plug in Boom! Instant show, right? Well, th thanks. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I do spend. I mean, Entity X is really just me, um, and I basically do everything when I play live. I'm not a big fan of. I mean, there's again, I say I'm not a big fan of, but I mean, there's time and place for everything. But when when you see a band live, I don't want to just see a band that basically plays the same songs that's been on the CD and 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 goes out. Like I. I right. My my uh, guitarist is isn't a lead guitarist, but he's he's more he's more stewed in um, glam and and good like rock guitar kind of a thing, and he's a rhythm mm -hmm. guitarist, which was what I really wanted for like the chunky chunky chunky. I don't like I didn't want somebody who wants to solo everything. And then my drummer is a huge Zeppelin fan. In fact, he used to own the the Vista Light, the orange Vista lights with the two thousand two symbols and everything. Uh, yeah, Tim Tim and him. Uh, very very huge zeppelin fans <laughs> and so i i uh, i knew him from working at long and mcquade he he was a regular customer of customer of mine and i totally got along with him and uh so when i played live i wanted him to play drums because i wanted more of a that like the straight up backbeat kind of drumming that like bottom would right. give. He, bottom wasn't a it wasn't delicate finesse he he put cool grace notes and stuff in there but he wasn't he wasn't known for delicate finesse work you know he was known for like solid beefy you know beats right and i wanted a yeah. drummer that would play not just what i programmed but do something different so that when when somebody would see us live even if we didn't have all of our lights or 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 whatnot that they would actually get a different experience than just you know hearing the same songs uh being pl sure. played with me singing more off key <laughs> yeah you guys put on a good you guys put on a great show i re i thoroughly enjoyed that thoroughly enjoyed Thank that that was that was fun and i remember going to adam when we were looking for an opener and you know there were names getting tossed around for opening acts for that show and I, the, a bunch of them i just was like oh god please no and <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember going to Adam and saying, Hey man, you got to check out my friend's band. And that's usually the kiss of death. Whenever you say that, Hey man, check out my friend's band usually means they're Ugh. shit. It usually means they're garbage. You know, let my girlfriend play keyboards. That's it. She's, Oh yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> Watch. She just holds down a C the whole time and everything's programmed. It's great. Orange, orange, red, red, orange, blue. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's like playing Simon. <laughs> 
we uh, I remember going to Adam with with uh, your page. I said, Adam, check him out. This is my friend from high school. And and he, Adam comes back, and all he writes is one word back to me in a, in an email, dude. <laughs> and I, thank you. And thank I know that so it's much. good. Thank you. I know so that much. it's well. It's, and then I, and then he's like, we got to get him on board. And then Tim Tim generally knows how to sell me, man. He knows how to sell me. <laughs> I think he had a good idea yep. that when he sent sent NTTX to me, that I would be like, oh yeah, that yeah, let's do that. <laughs> it's funny because um, uh, you know, Acid Test did a bunch of stuff in the '90s, sort of when people actually knew who the fuck we were, and you know, when Tim sent your stuff to me, it reminded me. In it, back in the day, one of the things that we did is we we formed uh, sort of a touring collective with a bunch of local musicians, and we toured the 401. We basically went from Detroit to Quebec City and back again repeatedly, and it was called Rave on the Road uh, because raves were cool oh, at cool. the time. But yeah, we actually so we had this band. Uh, well, I don't know if you remember this band. This band called Technicolor Raincoats. Uh, which actually the owner of the garrison, Sean Bowering, he was the oh. lead singer of. Oh, really? Um, yeah, uh, actually, I think we we played with Head a few times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was this other band called Digit out of Kitchener, this guy named Chris Newkirk, and he had all of these wonderful synthesizers. <laughs> and it was this two-person ba- two industrial band that was playing to backtracks, and they'd had, like, you know, he just, he would play an Ansonic EPS on stage, and the other guy would just sing very kind of Knights of Reb, super minimal, mm-hmm. but they were great. They were so good, and I, it's something I kind of, I don't know, I don't want to get too fucking nostalgic about it, but the 90s were good for that where uh, you could put together a tour of what would be considered, you know, really disparate groups of music, like totally different styles and genres and put them together and head out on the road and people came to it and loved it and people got exposed to maybe different kinds of music they didn't hear before they had never maybe heard before and that's kind of in a nutshell that's kind of why I was sort of excited to have you on because it sort of harkened back to that a little bit of that sort of like oh well you know they're they're more EBM and you know maybe we're a little more rock but that shouldn't matter there are lots of things that cross over with these two things that actually make us more similar than different um and at the very least we're going to put on one hell of a fucking show oh, right totally so, oh i i, I appreciate you, you uh having us uh on the show and thank you tim for introducing us my pleasure gord it was uh it's one of those things that when uh, Adam heard the music and I knew it sounded great. And it was just like, well, if the live show is half as good as what we're hearing recorded here, this, this show is going to be amazing. And, and then and my, ha- my, and my then, live show and, is half as good. <laughs> <laughs> or I thought it'd be better by <laughs> half. I thought that's how it worked. Um, but I, I just remember thinking like, as I'm watching you guys play, really getting into what you're doing, thinking this is perfect. It's like, there's, there's enough difference between the two bands, but there's still enough similarity that it's not it's not like we've got the Carpenters opening up for, uh, uh, you know, Black Sabbath or something. So um, it, it, there was enough together. And I, I and, you know, there was man, it was it was a great fun show. And it was I I had a good time that night. I remember um, uh, somebody somebody who had never seen us before came up and said, wow, you guys uh, talking about uh my band you guys are just like uh new order meets billy idol i i i I had never heard that before but it was it it stuck in my mind how people hear something different 
Well, that's it, right? So people hear what they want to hear. Yeah. So, people but, who are more versed yeah. in electronic bands will say, yeah, you'll, you sound like Knights of Rabin and Depeche Mode. You know, somebody who doesn't right. know, maybe knows Depeche Mode, but, mm. you know, you get you know, these different things. I mean, Depeche Mode really is the most commercially successful uh, electronic band, you know, I, yeah. I would say. I mean, I don't remember too many electronic, like fully electronic based bands that played like soccer stadiums. You you actually True. do a cover of uh, is it it's new dress right yeah From I, I, Black I, celebration yeah I did a cover of new dress and then um, I changed Princess uh, Die to Princess Kate I, yeah and I the same really week we released that there was a big thing on the news on the BBC News about Princess Kate buying clothes <laughs> at H and M. Fuck! <laughs> Talk about like bizarre coincidence and that. That totally helped, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, lo- I actually, I love the, the, the change up that you did on that. It, but you also kind of stayed a little bit sort of true to the feel of the original song too, which I thought was great. And, and yeah, like you said, a lot of times EBM gets pigeonholed into this sort of like, oh, I just have to kind of scowl into the microphone and that's a good vocal take. And I love the mm. fact that you actually like sing that song because it's actually a really good song and sort of from an era when i know like depeche mode at the very least wasn't giving too much of a fuck about what the press said about them because <laughs> the press i don't think were very kind to them at that time yeah and uh so they could really i think they could really actually for that album particularly they could actually sing about things that whether it was hit or miss they they sort of felt were sort of important to say and i thought that was really cool that, that you you decided to use that song out of everything that they have in their well, catalog, they, I they, that was such a good choice. They stopped performing that song live, I guess, out of respect for Princess Diana. Right. Uh, and and I, I always liked the back in in high school. I had the uh, the chorus, uh, "You Can't Change the World" uh, section in my in my Trapper Keeper. Uh, <laughs> 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 because that really that really rang true for a lot of different things about media about social ideas and everything is that people think you can't change the world but you you can but you have to do it through more uh strategic and specific means and then when i was thinking of songs to cover you know i think of song try to think of songs that really have meant something to me that song really meant something to me more than a lot of their their other songs. And the fact that, listen to the lyrics, I mean, holy shit, almost exactly the same things happen today, that things really yeah. have not changed. You know, no. uh, black townships, fires blaze, or the leader says that, uh, oh, we're, we're doing better now, and, and you know, all these things. A uh, jet airliner shot from sky, and I think it was just... Either yeah. before that or after that was the the plane crash in the Ukraine. Uh, yeah, the Grenfell the Grenfell Tower uh, uh, catching fire yeah. in London. Like, like yeah, things it's... don't really change. It doesn't matter if a liberal or a conservative or a, you know whoever's Marxist in power. anarchist. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, it, yeah. it's uh, it's things are all the same. And when can we stop learning to blame other people and look at ourselves to think? And maybe we're the cause of all this calamity more than anything else. You yeah. Know? Hmm. Do you sort of in in your music does that tend to carry over a lot in terms of the stuff you write? Um, like that sort of those sort of ideas, those ideas about like where 
you know, maybe the world's going, or maybe you just want to just get people dancing on the dance floor. I don't know, but uh, well, it, it, you know. the the first intention is honestly dancing. But when I write a song, um, typically I start with uh, the bass line. I mean, the bass line is what drives most of this style or any kind of dance music. And uh, I don't really have much of an intention. Very, very, very few times I have an intention of song. So I'm not going to go, I'm going to write a song about uh, Rwandan genocide and then write a song. I, I I (laughs) basically, I start a sound up and I go, that's a cool bass sound. And then, right. <laughs> and then, and, and then I start writing um, like soul flesh, like uh, you know, like a scat kind of lyrics over top of it, just just yeah. kind of making noises that reflect the sound and the and the emotion of it, and then those eventually form into words. Uh, and then maybe it's writing subconsciously. Uh, the only the, only a couple of songs really like uh, my song Bastion. Uh, which is that and if you don't uh, think like me, your enemy, if you don't pray like me, your enemy, that that was right. written with a little bit of intent because, you know, a certain leader got elected into uh, the United States. And I just <laughs> saw, uh, it, I just saw a magnification of the um, differences between people instead of a coming together of, of people. And uh, mm-hmm. the the chorus kind of wrote itself when I was sitting, I think, I think I was playing No Man's Sky. For some reason, I write a lot of lyrics playing No Man's Sky on the PlayStation. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I just kind of dropped the controller, ran downstairs, and I wrote the chorus. And I thought, okay, <laughs> uh, nice. w- what could I do around this? And so, so I don't really write with an, with an intent to say a message, but I think my subconscious gets things out in the lyrics that it, it wants to. I'm not a big fan of writing lyrics and then writing song to the lyrics because a lot of times that's uh, it feels a little shoehorned in. I feel just like, yeah. again, Entity X is just me in the studio. So I, I don't, it's not like the old days where I used to be in a, in a band and we'd all sit around and we kind of jam together and then a song kind of forms out of that or or norm would come in with a guitar riff and we'd riff and we'd figure out a song with that things all have to come mm-hmm. out of, of me and it uh usually it's it it makes sense sometimes like my la- the last i've got two songs that i'm performing live that i really even haven't even written lyrics for every time i play it it's uh improvisation uh. and that song die for you which i have a chorus down for and then a new song uh, called uh, Counterintelligence, uh, which, again, was started, that was kind of inspired maybe by the all the BS going on with YouTube and saying, you know, take this drug and this will stop you from getting uh, COVID. And, and COVID's, uh, uh, yeah. COVID was invented as a Windows plugin. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still running COVID XP over here, so... Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it's, I mean, th- so basically and th- those, a lot of times it, when a song has intention, yeah, I write the chorus first with uh, Bastion. It was like, if you, if basically, if you're not like me or my enemy was, was the, the kind of intention behind Bastion. And then the new, the new song counterintelligence was basically counterintelligence basically is filling your head. Counterintelligence is what they're selling you. And I didn't don't mean that as counterintelligence as in the espionage. I mean the counterintelligence means it's opposite of intelligence. 
Uh, right. Uh, yeah, it's a nice well, wordplay. Well, I use actually. wordplay a lot. In in uh, in Bastion, I have uh, stealing thoughts through the haze. There's uh, a line called stealing thoughts through the haze. Uh and people think it's like taking thoughts through the mist, but it's not. It's stealing as in the person's emotions have been steeled, which means strengthened, and haze is H-A-Y-E-S, meaning the modem. There's, there's too much good music. People that say, oh, I don't listen to this or I don't listen to that. Or, I don't want to just hasn't. They just haven't found that song and that connects them to it yet. Well, it's funny. Adam and I had a show about this, which by the time people hear this, they'll have heard it. He, essentially, there are people that say, I hate rap music. And then like, then you look through their record collection. You're like, yeah, but you have five Beastie Boys. Albums. <laughs> yeah. How can you say you hate rap? You don't hate rap. You just hate some of it, you know? Right. I, I don't like um, all uh, EBM. I don't like all industrial. I don't like all goth. You know, it's it, there's too many bands and too many variations. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, well, I, like I said, I, I I don't really like Noy Bouton. I, I appreciate what they did. I, I picked up... Uh, uh, a recent album and i was like what the hell it didn't sound anything industrial to me it sounded how they had this weird pop kind of a thing to it and then okay i guess i guess they they changed uh and then i pick up like i'm still a, i'm i gonna say leather strip again because it, it blows my mind uh klaus from leather strip uh yeah. mastered my last album oh and nice. and it it blows my mind that we are on a talking basis. He woof woofs at my pictures. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I wrote a song for him with him in mind, and he agreed to do it as a duet with me. Oh, so, that's awesome. So, I mean, like, it's, it's I, I, I just can't believe that sometimes your heroes are much more approachable. And he's still, and he's got, like, he's got uh, clout. He's got... Uh, uh, M. Tier Park. He's got. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the different bands that he is right now that does a whole bunch of things. Like M. Tier Park is much more synth poppy ish kind of a feel, and Clout sure. is 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 even harder edged, uh, almost like uh, EBM porn. Uh, right. And Leather Strip is still Leather Strip. You know the 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 visceral sound that he has with that. There's just so many different things out there underneath these these umbrellas and you just have to you know let's try it listen to it now nowadays with spotify and youtube and vimo um vimo vimeo vimeo yeah i mean just type in and you'll have just by the grace of people mislabeling things yeah uh, <laughs> you'll yeah. have you'll have all kinds of other thing other bands to explore and and podcasts and everything you can you can just find so many different things i mean hell there's that nas or whatever the guy who did that country road song yeah that uh, old time road and the, the basis of that whole song is from a nine inch nails it's a sample of a banjo from nine inch nails song the <laughs> the banjo in the back of that song is from nine inch nails That's so you crazy. got 
You got Nine Inch Nails, you got uh, a rapper, and you've got uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. You know, like, holy crap, how many more genres can you put in there? Maybe... Where do you where do you put that disc in the record store, right? Where where does that one sit? Well, it's does funny because it I know section, that you know that 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 song actually got a lot of uh, a lot of heat because you know of course it it does have very strong country elements, but or you know it's essentially a country hip hop track. Excuse me. And oh, uh, totally. But a lot of like a lot of Nashville Puritans were like, that's not country. And like, basically they refused to play it on country radio. Like they had to really kind of fight to get that song, to get any sort of recognition as, as something that could fit into that genre, which is like, and Tim mentioned this, we did talk about that before, sort of like how, and maybe this hasn't changed, but in high school, uh, you know, music in a way defined who you were personally. And therefore you had to have this sort of narrow field of what you're supposed to listen to and then how, how that's kind of fundamentally wrong and and like you said you know you can you can start a country song from a nine inch nail sample sample and then throw a rapper on it and make a cool tune <laughs> you know like oh. all of a sudden boom there it is right so here we are waxing this is a problem you get two high school people you know, guys that were friends in high school, you know, that should be talking about music and we're talking about high school, but that is where it all, yeah, that is where everything for me. And it sounds mm-hmm. like for Tim too, you, it, that's where things really got solidified where identity was, was formed by the, the music and the people that we were, we were around mm-hmm. and it totally affects us to today. I think. Well, but but yeah. seriously, no, all of that stuff, like like when Gord brought the the synth into high school band, it was like, ooh. Were you there when you... I brought the Simmons drums in? I couldn't remember. No, no. We didn't have electronics when I was there, drums. I went through a big I brought in my, my Simmons. Nice. There. And uh, that was when there were the phenolic uh, panels, like playing on a countertop. I have some actually. I I have a SDS two hundred with yeah. a couple of pads. Yeah, and it's it's like banging. You know, it's like playing a countertop. It's butcher block. It's got <laughs> the same same feel. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm working on a retrofit. I have some SDS five or seven. I've got a, I've got some really really old the first generation rubber coated pads the the rubber on plywood pads that I'm yeah. uh, converting over. I bought some. Basically, it's silicon baking sheets, but really thick, like industrial baking sheets. And of I'm course, be... it's industrial, Gord. <laughs> NTTX, it's industrial. So, and I'm 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 going to be cutting them out and seeing if I can make a retrofit, kind of ease up a little bit of that clacky clack. Is my drummer That's not said, a bad "Oh, idea. I've got I've got five Simmons pads," and he said, "Oh, that'd be cool if you know instead of using the like I use Yamaha electronic drums, and instead mm-hmm. of using the the Yamaha pads, it'd be cool if we can use the the hex pads because that you know looks they more look traditional." Amazing. And then he played them, <laughs> 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 and not only not only do they feel horrible, it's like clack 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 clack. Yeah, there's too much. Yeah, sometimes the the little uh, triggers fall off, and then oh. yeah, and I, and it was he was like, "Yeah, okay, I don't I don't I don't think I'm playing them again." <laughs> <laughs> They've got all the feel of a concrete driveway, that's for sure. Oh, but, it's but, brutal. But the sounds, though, I mean, when I first met Adam, we were uh, he got me into a band, North Star Jack, which was a an old friend of mine, uh, Gareth Carr, who had started this band, and he had met Adam. And Another Curtis drum- guy, uh, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, I actually lived on uh, 11th Line, so oh. I, think they call, I think they call it Rundle Road now, but whatever. And then so 
I show up for this, uh, the first time to play with Adam because their drummer decides to not, he's not going to show up for the gig tomorrow. He literally just, we played a show and he just decided he wasn't going to show up. So we, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think what what, what was the story, Tim? Uh, Gareth was like, Hey, so are you coming to our show at, uh, I I forget the club, but it was basically, it was the Cameron house. Are you coming to our show at the Cameron house? And he's like, yeah. He's like, do you want a really good seat? And Tim's like, the Cameron House holds 40 people. How good of a seat could it be? And he's like, do you want a drum for us? Do you want a seat on stage? Wow. (laughs) And it was like, okay, yeah, sure. And I'm like, but I don't really know your songs. And he's like, yeah, funny story. Adam and I are on on our way over to your place to pick you up right now. (laughs) And this is when I lived in Toronto. I'm like, so where are you? He's like, well, we're at uh, St. Clair and Young. I'm like, shit, you're like a block away. So, you know, grab my bag of symbols. Well, so, I, I would trust, I would definitely trust you sitting in, you know, your musical knowledge is good enough. I definitely would trust you. Oh, oh you're, you're too kind. He you're did, he kind. did, Tim, Tim did great. He was actually, it was really, really nice to have him in on, even, even though I know we kind of put him in this really awkward position of, I didn't you know, guess the song. Playing. Uh, he yeah. did good. He did great, man. Like we, no, nobody knew, nobody noticed. It was awesome. But so. what was funny is eventually, so eventually this drummer leaves and Gareth's like, so you want in like Gareth and Adam <laughs> take me, take, take me out for like, you know, let's go for drinks. And you know, Gareth and Adam and I used to do that all the time. And I wasn't trying to get into the band. I, I liked the band, but I wasn't actively like, so if you fire the drummer, can you like, give me a call? <laughs> you know, you were it playing, wasn't any planning no strategy. <laughs> that's no strategy. That's it. So, you know, and I just remembered with Adam, it was like, you know, we'd go out and drink, have fun, fall down, you know, see each other next weekend kind of thing. And then, you know, so him and Gareth and I are out and then Adam and Gareth look at each other and it's like, Ooh, the room just got really serious all of a sudden. What the <laughs> f- what's going on here, man? And Adam just says, are you going to tell him or am I going to tell him? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what happened? Who did I kill? Like, did I, you know, and Gareth's like, so you want to be the drummer in North Star Jack? I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then so, the but what's changed. funny is that I, I had just bought an SDS 7 Simmons kit off of eBay for like 200 bucks. Yeah, this <laughs> this would be like 98. Yeah. Yeah. The, the red pads with the, like the, the concrete tops and the, yeah. you know. I decided, I said, because Adam was really pulling out all of his old 80s since then, too. So he's Juno pulling out his and, Juno. Yeah. yeah the Juno. Oh, and, nice. and, the ARP and, the, yeah. and they were going totally, totally retro. I had actually, at one of the shows, I had pulled out, I have a, the Mattel oh. Sonics <laughs> uh, drum drum machine, which is oh, so yeah. cool. And so I pulled that out at one show, just, you know, because what, what was happening was Adam was doing a lot of really cool stuff, a really cool sort of, like, in a Brit pop band, but he's kind of doing almost a talk talk throwback where there's a lot of keys, a lot of pads, you know, a lot mm. of interesting stuff going on. I and use then, the Juno arpeggiator quite a bit actually. And we did it in real time. Oh, Tim yeah. actually followed the arpeggiator with no click. So yeah. Uh, that, well, that's, that's <laughs> made things interesting, <laughs> but it was cool. No, it, it was, was awesome. As long as I could hear it, I could play to it. So, <laughs> you know, oh, if, yeah. if you're that's that was the bonus too in that band was the guitar player wasn't one of these like one of these tone deaf deaf guitar players who's like, oh, you know what? All of a sudden, I can't hear myself, so I have to turn everything up and I have to play every oh. note all of the time. So, Rob was more of a like a like a mood guy. He was sort of like so into Radiohead. If Rob could play one chord 
and just play with his pedals on the ground going <laughs> for the whole song rob was the happiest guy in the world so it was fairly easy for me to hear adam's sequencer you know so and 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 thus to well, introduce and, things like simmons and and weird oh, mattel toys and and much to the oh, much yeah. to the chagrin of gareth at the time unfortunately because i went i didn't go for like <laughs> I, I didn't try to do like let's do an 808 bass drum because you can on a simmons you can get that whole Oh, yeah. And, you know, you get that really snappy little snare. So you've got this really weird sound, right? First show I do with them with the Simmons drums. I don't know. It sounds like Van Halen in the 80s where it's like. And the classic, as Gareth called it, you know, you'd hear the song going along. And instead of cut cut on the snare, you'd hear. Pew, pew. So. <laughs> Big laser blast. Yeah, it was, it was basically, yeah, it was like uh, North Star Jack meets Miko, right? So, <laughs> so well, with electronic drums, like I, 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 I've basically ditched. I don't have, well, I have an acoustic kit, but it's a chunker that I was just putting triggers in that, that you can use different things. Like I did a, a you were saying about sitting in with a band. I did, I sat in uh, for live for a, a performer called Stoneburner. Uh, he also has a band called Ego Likeness, and uh, his stuff is very along, um, kind of along a skinny puppyish vein, like very uh, noise and ambient samples and weird stuff, right. distorted vocals. And he had me. Uh, he saw me play in New Jersey with on the dark side of the con, and he saw me playing my like I had like basically a Simmons, not a Simmons, uh, Elisa's sample pad, and he knew I was a drummer and kind of knew my stuff, and he he kind of liked my presence on stage, and he asked me if I would play drums for him. Now he's in i can't remember where he is he's in the states and i'm here and like well we won't practice it's okay i'll just send you the backing tracks you do whatever you want over top of them nice and i'm like what <laughs> and so i set up he didn't want to hear what i had to play or he never asked me and i i put in i put in like uh all kinds of different things i had uh garbage bins and 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 like real true industrial sounds garbage bins there was one sample i did was a lid of uh one of those massive food container bins behind uh, mandarin and ajax uh <laughs> that i slammed the door down it was that's a and that was in there and so i i showed up to the gig he had no idea what i was going to play i had no click track <laughs> and ba i played along the top of it and it was it was cool he didn't know what to expect, and he was playing sheets of metal too, as well, uh, and and, and uh, electronic pads, and I loved it. And it was the whole idea again, giving somebody that was a brief moment of show that was at the uh, Bovine Sex Club in Toronto, oh, yes. which again is is uh, is is a lot of early electronic and industrial bands played yeah, there. It's legend. It's uh, legend. It, it was oh yeah, it, it was uh it was kind of a cool thing to come for me to come back to that place as a drummer again. Uh the first time I played drums for a band in over twenty years and it was so so different. He pimped me up a little bit with the, the NTTX and and I mean he was a guy from out of town playing with a with a local guy playing drums. It was neat, and uh, he, I found out he does this a lot. He goes over and he basically gets a drummer from a bunch of different drummers from all over the area, and he plays with them as he goes. So the show is constantly evolving. Oh, interesting! I mean, it's a brave thing 
it's a brave thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I, I think. Did, did, did you? Uh, and, and he, he did even, you wind up hanging out at a lot of clubs in uh, like 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 down on Queen Street in the nineties? Like, uh, did you go to like I remember the Rivoli, even though it's kind of like sort of more of mainstream kind of venue now. The Rivoli at the time was was really kind of play had a lot of good underground shows like uh uh yeah R- rivoli catch 22 apocalypse uh, club like yeah I, I i unfortunately i did not go out a lot um that's that's kind of been a a thing that's maybe held me back a little bit in music is the schmoozing thing yeah. um as far as people think i'm an outgoing uh crazy kind of guy because of like weird uh zippy the pinhead responses uh <laughs> to quote somebody else uh i i'm i'm kind of random and seem outgoing i am actually not i'm a very much stay at home uh loud noises bother me uh, i'm very much a stay at home and I, I stay away from club scenes and that right. which definitely has affected some of my popularity my wife is the one who goes out and does most of the the clubbing and dancing and that uh i get really uncomfortable and uh I just it just it just weirds me out going to places. So I I never was much of a club kid unless I was working doing the sound or lights or either playing in the band. Right. So like I, I went 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 to very 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 few clubs. Unfortunately, does that reconcile with uh, like you mentioned you were in New Jersey playing a gig? Do you? I mean, obviously not now and in this time of COVID, but <laughs> do you, were were you touring fairly regularly before uh, with NTTX? No, um, just played a couple of shows, uh, got opened, uh, asked to open a couple of shows in, in Toronto, like at Opera House and a couple of shows I did. I got pulled into doing, um, one of the competitions. I can't remember what they call it. The, uh, like Emergenza or some shit like that. Shoot. I, I feel bad. Oh, like Indie, Indie Week, Week or something oh, like that. Oh, we did that. Yeah. We did that. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, the first night we played, I got a perfect score. <laughs> and uh wow. i was written up saying i've never seen so many fans at a place before and the next the follow-up show uh i lost uh, uh, with a ridiculously low score uh and we did the same thing so I- i'm not a big fan of those kind of things There's a lot of time it's a popularity contest and because i'm not a social out there working person i, I don't know it's it's you said about touring and stuff of like that. I would love to, I love playing live. I would go anywhere and play anything to one person, to a hundred people, to a thousand people, whatever. I, I doesn't, I, I yeah. love, I love playing, but I said, but I'm not a, but I'm not a, sh- a schmoozer. The thing in Jersey was awesome because it was a, it was a con. It was a dark side of the con. So it was all kind of goth and a dark electronic band. So I got to meet a lot of bands that I, only would talk to on Facebook and met some fans that I only knew from Facebook and such. Uh, So that was kind of cool. I would love to do that, but again, it's expensive. And because I'm self-conscious about things, um, I I pay for my band members to to come. So it does get... Mm. Being a solo project, wanting more people on stage, it gets very cost-prohibitive. And, uh, you know, I'm not selling thousands of dollars worth of merch or getting paid thousands of dollars to perform. So it's, it's a little it's a little difficult. I mean, live music, I'm, I'm, I just can't believe it. I was in high school in a three piece skate punk band uh, playing at Pizza Pino's in Ajax uh, for, <laughs> for five dollars a person. And people are still to this day complaining a, 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 a 
$10 or $20 cover charge. And it's so many mm. years later, I just, it's, it's just, it's a little disheartening and a little, a little hurtful. I, I, I think, um, people don't realize what it costs to put on shows of now mine's a little different. I have like ridiculous lights and lasers and stuff like that when I play live, but even if you're not, even if you're just a guy up there with an acoustic guitar, it's gas, it's parking, it's food, it's, it's maintenance. Practice it's practice time. It's practice yeah. time. I mean, and I just, mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. They'll pay, they'll spend $150 in booze at the bar, but complain over even a $10 tag. And I don't want to, I don't want to have a negative thing over it, but I hope with covid and people this being basically taken away from them for a yeah. while i, yeah, I would sure. i would hope that a new appreciation for for not even just live bands for for the work that people do to run a club to bring you those nights and to to give you these experiences uh again that that people really appreciate this i think, I think that's well said i, 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 I think it's that, very man. well said it's 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 I don't know have you have you guys done any of the streaming stuff yet or the shows? We we haven't done anything. Adam and I we uh, the people that I work with they've sort of gone the route of let's try to get a recording and pop it out. You know, sort of like almost like a single. You know what I mean? So yeah. To your point earlier about how the music industry was sort of turned upside down way back. That like you said five bucks at pizza Pino's in, you know, 1987 wasn't a hardship, but somehow 10 bucks in 2019. Why, why are you eviscerating my 10 year old child? Why are you doing that to me? (laughs) You know? And again, like even with the show that we played together with acid test and with, uh, with NTTX to get people to come out and then people asking for free stuff. I've known you since like way back. Like you should give me a free one. I'm like, <laughs> how about, how about this? How about you give me a hundred bucks and I'll give you all the stuff you want, you know? <laughs> and then well, people do do that now have like subscriptions do, yeah. and yeah. Patreon and, and, and I mean, there, there really is more opportunity, mm-hmm. all these different opportunities to make money and for people to get even just get exposed, not even money, just get exposed. Mm-hmm. There is so many opportunities, but so much, so much of it is free. Mm-hmm. Well, and so people, the the value of that, they don't have to go through. Like I remember having to get on the bus, go to the Oshawa Center, go to Sam the Record Man, mm-hmm. look around, try to find you know whatever wherever section that had music that was interesting. Looking at the covers, because, you know, if it didn't have a cool cover. Exactly. You know, and then maybe sometime the cool guy would be there who'd play you the album. Mm-hmm. And you actually had to take effort. You had to take time and you had to take money. Just even looking for music took money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true. Um, and, and and we appreciated it more when we got it. And we ha- held that, that the LP in our hand and we listened to it. It took effort. It took concentrated effort not to scratch the freaking thing when, when you used your... Uh, you know, a Fisher Price, uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, with a tone arm, the tone arm was the arm of it. Of Mickey Mouse. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We, we, you had, it took a concerted effort. Now, oh, 
you just swipe, go yeah. to the next song. It's like, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of that. Boom, next. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, even if you bought an album, you weren't happy with it. You still listen to it. God damn it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and people, people don't li- like I started. I don't know if it's uh, the COVID thing. I've started re-listening to albums. Mm-hmm. I, I've started listening to, to, to albums front to back again. Yeah. And appreciating the the work that they were as a piece, yeah. Instead of now, we're so used to, and I'm guilty of it. I, I, I and a lot of bands, especially in our genre, are guilty of it of making EPs. Yeah, yeah, right. Two <laughs> that's or three what we, songs. That's what we made. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's 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 true. It's yeah. easier. I mean, mind you, I'm, it's a whole different thing. Back in the day, like bands of my scale would never be heard in Germany. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Or somebody with a cassette tape that's been dubbed over eight times. You know, you can hear the other side of the tape on it when you listen to it. You know, it, it's it, it's such a twofold thing is I can reach thousands of people in an instant, you mm-hmm. know, and hopefully those thousands of people tell more and more and more. But before to get people other than just your province or your state to, to hear your music was a brutal brutal effort and if you weren't backed by a good entertainment lawyer or um known label you were screwed yeah there's no way you know those kind of things those kind of experiences and stuff without the ease of communication and without the ease of transportation of the the files we'd be screwed like i said it gets back to that like I had a move dark song. I can't remember how many weeks it was on the German electronic charts for, but it was on the charts for weeks. Right. And I, I couldn't believe that I was unsigned, but for some reason, the song hit a chord with people and then they used it on a DVD on Sonic seducers magazine, which Sonic seducer is kind of like a, uh, like alternative music press in Germany. Yeah. Like a pr- proper tabloid sized glossy paged magazine used my song to do their overview of their huge, um, like multi, like, like a million person festival. Nice. Like blew, absolutely blew me away. And if it wasn't for internet and if it wasn't for kind of this freedom, that I don't think would have happened. That I would have, it, you would have happened to have been signed to Mute or right. or one of the other labels that, that handled this kind of uh, stuff You'd be before. taping up a box with your two-inch tape going like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you fire it off. Yeah. It's true. Like, so, uh, I got interviewed for FM, South African radio station. FM, first off, which is, which is, which is a real radio station. I hate to say it, but I mean, it's one of those things. It's, it's, uh, you know, when you're on FM, it's like, wow, that's people are broadcasting. It's not streaming. And it's just, it's weird that, uh, that I'm, I'm a piddly nobody. And then, but I'm, I'm getting traction at places that I don't even recall sending things to, Right. <laughs> but that's the, that's the beauty of the internet. Like, yeah. Uh, a small town person like okay all kinds of opportunities for the for for people um if you're so inclined now it takes a lot of work and now the lot a lot of work instead of being an excuse me an agent or whatever you can still get them but you can bypass a lot of that stuff and get your 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 voice and your work out there Oh, 
Oh, maybe we should do this with you, Gord. Oblique strategies. Do you know what that is? Uh, well, you know, it's it's like the sit-ups, but you go sideways, right? Ah. No, 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 no. <laughs> to work on your obliques? No, no, no. Are you, are you is... talking about the thing where it's you, you pick a card and it's random and it says, yes. hey. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It was uh, was it uh, Nick? Uh, not Nicholas Cage. Brian, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Nicholas Cage, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, no, it's Peter Schmidt and Brian Eno. Brian yeah, Eno, could, that was it. Brian yeah, Eno, yeah, yeah. exactly. It was I, exactly. I, I used to have it, the, it was, there was a desktop application that was for that. Yeah. Well, I have the cards, and Adam and I've been using this, using this in every show. I do pick a two or three cards at random and see what they say. Oh, bleak. Strategies. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. So card. oblique strategies. So, Gord, I got, I got two cards for you here, okay? Um, so this is, imagine we're in the studio, the three of us, and we're like, ah, what do we do now, you know? And we're stuck on, a, on a, an idea, and here's what uh, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt suggest we do. Do something boring. <laughs> do something boring. So that would probably mean maybe cliche, maybe something expected. Okay, we just did a song and, uh, you know, okay, so we're going to modulate. Let's modulate to the relative minor. Ooh, that's so Okay, different. you got you got you know? me there. I do not do not know any musical. I know when something sounds wrong for this moment, but I have no idea uh, major, minor, augmented, uh, mixolydian. Uh, my second card for you. Gord, yeah, that's coming from the mind of Peter Schmidt. So, would, would that be also like simple, like uh, Moon and June, yeah, and like rhyme, simple lyric, just to get you through sure. a, a pass? Like Gordon Boyd. <gasps> Whoa, that's that was the sound of several minds exploding. Boom, boom, glitter. So this next one, this is for you too, Gord. Trust in the you of now that's to me that sounds like like almost improvisation just there you go that's but that's how you interpret it yeah right? maybe the me of now says more drums yeah. <laughs> you know yeah there you go oh gord thanks for uh, thanks for agreeing thank to you come so much and, for having uh, me though this is a, a definitely an about, honor yeah it was great we loved it thank you oh my god could that have been any more fun adam Dude, that was so much fun. Oh, man. I had a great time talking with Gord. That was, uh, he's such a cool dude. I, I loved hooking up with him at our, our CD release party a few years ago. We have so much in common, and, and I really wanted to. So I was looking forward to picking his brain, and that, that satisfied me. That was, oh. was full on chilled monkey brains for me. Oh, it was great. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So good. Delicious monkey brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was such a good time, man. And you know, the funny thing is, I have a feeling that if you Gordon and I were sitting in the same room instead of several hundred kilometers apart, I think that we'd probably still be talking. Yeah. You know? I think so. And That's a, that was uh for all our listeners out there, we we did quite the pairing down edit of that conversation cuz we just we all just kind of ran with a whole bunch of things. If there if there had been a whiskey bottle in the middle of the table, it would have been like decimated. Probably. <laughs> so, in all sincerity, I want to thank Gord for being our very first interview. It was it was super great of him to come on and uh, be such a good sport about it. So thanks, Gord. Gord, you rule. You rule, buddy. Everybody, thanks go so to his much. website and buy his stuff, please. Buy his stuff. And uh, we also want to thank him actually for contributing that track uh, that we uh, played in there as well. Yes. Um, and 
Which sort of brings us to uh, that one thing that we always ask our listeners. Bring out your dead songs! So you're, you're rummaging around the attic, and you find that old box of tapes, and you say, man, you know, once upon a time, I used to be a rock star. I could be Gord Clement and be on a podcast, too. <laughs> I could. I could. I could. Maybe I could. I'm almost as good as him. Almost. Right? right? Mom says I'm handsome. So <laughs> That's right. So put your out, bow tie on. Break out those it. tapes. Digitize them. Put your pocket protectors in, kids, and break out your tapes. Digitize your stuff. Send us your songs. We love you. We promise we will not be that terrible. (laughs) Unless you have wronged us in the past, in which case, (laughs) (laughs) it's on your tires. End your hopes and dreams. Yeah, haunt your dreams. Um, (laughs) That was a really great interview, and I think that's it for our podcast for today. I do want to remind our listeners out there, if you can, if you have a second, just give us a super quick review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to us. Feel free to comment. Send us comments on Facebook. Tell us we're assholes. We don't care. Well, we do. Inside we do. But on the outside, we look like we don't care. Tell us what you feel. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you, Even if you have suggestions for maybe people you'd like us to interview or things that you want us to talk about, bring it on. We want it. Um, Tim, we have, some, we have some other brilliant interviews coming up. Stay tuned. Yes, we do actually some really great interviews coming up. That's it for us in podcast land. Tim, you have yourself a, another great week and I hope to see you again soon. You too, Adam. And Hey, cue the music with this sexy voiceover. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.